Thank you, O Lord, for this time, a special time in the life of any church as we receive both by baptism and profession saints in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, today um, for both Grace and Aaron, that you'd be gracious to them, that the faith that they professed here today at Providence Presbyterian Church would follow them throughout all of their lives, but not only their lives, perhaps and encouragingly to their own children's lives. We, O Lord, thank of the covenantal blessings and riches you bestow upon your church. And we pray, O oh Lord, that by both example and by profession, that we would see these two mature well in the faith. O oh Lord, we pray for a special portion of your spirit to be outpoured upon them, and that in that pouring, O oh Lord, that they would see the grace found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, for their parents as they continue perhaps to rear them. We pray that in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they would see maturity and fruit. We pray, O oh Lord, for your grace in that family system, and that by your word, there would be glory declared by the word of Christ. We pray also, O oh Lord, for the civil realm before us. We think, O oh Lord, today perhaps of our own Supreme Court. We think of Chief Justice Roberts and the justices that serve alongside them alongside him. We pray, O oh Lord, that this court would adjudicate matters in a manner that brought honor to your name, but not only that, O oh Lord, that promoted moral lawfulness within our own country. We pray, O oh Lord, that by the rule of the Supreme Court, we would see perhaps a cultural churning, a turning away from worldliness, and perhaps to a better model of uprightness within society itself. Whether it be mere cultural, we pray, O oh Lord, for the greater, that there would be revival and that there would be a moral revolution in the positive sense within our own land. We pray also, O oh Lord, for the work of the church throughout all the world. We think of Rachel Raby this morning as she has returned to Japan. We pray, O oh Lord, that as she returns and she is received well, hopefully, and, and hope by those who are around her, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would energize her ministry. We thank you, O oh Lord, a few months ago for her coming amongst us and sharing the work of her ministry and the difficulty therein. We pray, O oh Lord, that those who are in Japanese society would hear the gospel through her ministry, through her teaching ministry. But not only that, that the culture would be radically changed forever for Christ. That churches would grow and prosper and that the gospel would go forth to the ends of that country. We pray also, O oh Lord, for the lost in our own country in a similar manner. O oh Lord, we live in a post-Christendom world, and the results of that is moral vacuousness and lawlessness. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would soften the hearts of those who do not believe in the Lordship of Christ. Reject the triune God. We pray, O oh Lord, that there would be great softening and revival within our own land, in our own country. Whether it be in legislatures or within our homes, we pray, O oh Lord, that there would be great transformation. And that, O oh Lord, you would use faithful biblical churches to preach the gospel to those who do not know you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you uplift all those churches now, and that in their mission today to preach Christ, that those who do not know you would hear the truth and that it would fall on fertile soil. And in that fertile soil, the fruit of faith 
would come forth. We pray, O oh Lord, for our own growth in that regard, that you would continue to provide us our own nutrients to grow as a congregation. We pray that our own congregation would grow in greater conviction to being a witness to Christ to our community, that we would have general personal outreach, perhaps not in any cliche way, but, O oh Lord, through faithful witness. May our thoughts, words, and our deeds reflect a witness to Christ, a desirous witness that is intoxicating for all to hear. Oh, Lord, be with us this day. Be with the Bogard children as the long road of faith is now before them. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. We'll be in the 8th chapter going through from verse 26 to 39. 26 to 39. <clears throat> Last week Jesus conquered the storms and we saw the great work of Christ not only having control over perhaps humans and animals, but the creation itself. That by the word of his powers, be still, the storm was still. And Jesus had great power over the sea and the wind therein. And today we see him continue that work, that great work of creational restoration as he meets a demon-possessed man of the Gerasenes. A story perhaps we're all very familiar with, the demoniac that is possessed by legion. Here now, as you stand from Luke chapter 26, stand with me. Here's the word of God. <clears throat> then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, <clears throat> there met him a man from a city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. And he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it, seized, it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would not break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons have entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. And so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pig. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found him, found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. 
Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus has done for him. Here ends the gospel lesson, and this is the word of God. You may be seated. When I, when I was a kid, I used to get spooked by horror movies. It was a problem in my own home because my mom only liked two types of movies. One was action movies, and the other was horror. And she liked them being intermingled with both quite often to her great delight. And everything else in my mom's mind was boring. And so we perhaps enjoyed Mission Impossible, the movies with Tom Cruise, not the old TV show. Or we would enjoy things that are just almost unspeakable. Scary movies from the 80s. But I remember perhaps the scariest movie that I would watch would be those movies that always, with the preface, would say something akin to based on a true story. You've seen that, have you not? Perhaps none more scarier than the exorcism movies themselves. After watching those movies as a kid, I would often go to sleep, and for some reason that night, I would wake up exactly at 3 a.m., which was the scariest time for any little boy to wake up. And I would sit there under my covers, shivering, wondering if tonight is the night that I become like one of those movies based on a true story. Well, good news for me, and perhaps good news for all of you here today, just because Hollywood says it's based on a true story doesn't mean it's based on a true story. And what we'll learn here today, as we study this demonically oppressed and possessed man, is that perhaps Hollywood gets it wrong. Perhaps Hollywood gets it wrong. Jesus showed us the restoration of the creation itself when he calmed the most evil part of creation last week with the calming of the sea itself. Jesus' restoration and redemption is not limited to creation, though. And we see that as Jesus goes to the people of the Gerasenes, his hope and desire in that Gentile nation with those Gentile people is to restore them themselves. And what greater example of that restoration than this demoniac in this necropolis? Today, we'll see Jesus' true relation to the demonic, his true power, his true authority. But even as we come to this passage, perhaps today we feel crippled by the power of the demonic, perhaps also of our own sin. And so there's much for us to glean from a passage such as this, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has ultimate supremacy over all that is dark. Have you ever felt tormented? Have you ever felt chained spiritually? Perhaps you're in the season of life right now. Perhaps you're backsliding as your own sin overwhelms you. Well, today, I want you to know that Jesus liberates us from the chains of darkness. That is the main point. Jesus liberates us from the chains of darkness. The first thing I want you to see in this passage, though, is that darkness will isolate you. Darkness will isolate you. You see this in the life of this man, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which was opposite of Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. 
For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. You see the effects of darkness upon this man. Most stringently, of course, as it relates to the demon, but his sin has isolated himself from society itself. This is perhaps Jesus' first most notable encounter with demons in Luke, most explicitly. There's no secret here. The effects of demons upon this man is gigantic. I mean, look at his life. If you look at verse 27, he had no closed clothes, and he lived among the dead. What kind of life is that? This man has been relegated not as human, but to a wild animal who fends for himself at a place of tombs, a necropolis. The mind often goes perhaps to New Orleans, and the necropolis you can experience there. Live, imagine living among the tombs of New Orleans. That's this man. And not only is he living among these tombs, he's chained there with no clothes on. He's a wild man. The man bears the shame of his own nakedness among the dead, who the dead themselves have clothes. Not even he has clothes. You can see the effects of the demonic. He's alive, but he ain't living. This is no life that any of us would want. It seems he's not in his right mind. He's been so oppressed by the demonic presence that he no longer thinks well. But look at the severity of this case. Verse 29 in the latter half, for at many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound chains and shackles. And he would break, he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. This man was such a nuisance to society that not only was he bound spiritually by these demons, he was physically bound as well. Think of the isolation. He was deemed not fit for society. He was sent by the people to live among the dead. And he was such a nuisance that there would be guards to guard him. He was not only isolated spiritually by the demon, but he was isolated by the guards who guarded him 24-7. Think of the isolating nature. And that's when we learn his name. Jesus asks him, what is your name? And he says, Legion. For many demons had entered him. The demon takes a page, perhaps, out of modern politician playbook in that when asked a question, he doesn't answer directly. He doesn't get the names of these demons. Instead, the demon sidesteps him and says, Legion. And he says, Legion, on one reason and one reason alone. It is to communicate to Jesus that this man is overwhelmed by demons. Not merely one, not merely ten, hundreds, if not thousands. The demon is evoking Roman understanding of the legion. 5,000 plus infantrymen would form a legion, all under the control of one Roman leader. This legion of demons, perhaps thousands, perhaps exaggerated, I don't know. But they were innumerable. When you think of the demonic, though, as perhaps we develop this isolating feature our own view could probably use a better tune-up. Perhaps you and the congregation this day view, too, view the work of the demonic too lowly. You never think of the demonic's effects today. 
He's almost categorized the demonic work today as something that is passe, something that is not involved. You just blame everything on your own sin. Perhaps that's too low of a view of the demonic. Or perhaps others are, have too high of the power of the demonic. Perhaps you think demonic oppression is that every part of your society, every part of your own life, that you're not culpable for your own sins because the demon's upon your back and shoulders. We blame shift all of our woes to others. Perhaps we could have too high of a view of the demonic. But what we do see here is that demons and the demonic influence, oppression upon our own lives, tend to isolate us. The darkness of our own world can be categorized in three ways. Our sin, the fallen world, and the demonic itself. And so whether we are experiencing the demonic, the fallen effects of the world, or our own sin, all of that darkness isolates us. It isolates us from God himself, but also from one another. I mean, how often, as Christians even, have you fallen into sin and by your own shame you feel that you can't bear presence in the community? You become melancholy. I'm going to stay home on Sunday this Sunday because I'm too shameful to come here. Perhaps it's pure isolation. Perhaps the mental health of our own lives is at an all-time low. And instead of joining the community, we isolate ourselves. That's the power of darkness and we can experience that today whether it be sin the fallen world or the demonic itself like this man we can know that darkness isolates us but there's good news Jesus liberates from us from the chains of darkness yes darkness isolates us but Jesus in the second point liberates darkened hearts look at verse 28 with me and he, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. These demons had one job in the life of this man, and it was to torment him. And perhaps when you first read that text, you think that the demon is talking about his own work. But no, the demon is now pitifully coming before Jesus and begging, Do not torment me like I've tormented this man. It's a striking picture of the demon as it relates to Christ. He falls and cries before Christ, groveling on hands and knees. Please, be merciful to me. Do not torment me. And perhaps this is the check and balance for the power of the demonic in the Christian church. Look how this demon grovels before the power of Christ grovels knowing that he has no power over Christ. Perhaps we saw a great picture of that last week when Jesus himself conquered the dominion of the demons by calming the storm. But now we see it as Jesus marches on forward. This demon shrieks in fear before Christ. There is no battle. That's perhaps what you'd expect Expect a battle where Jesus takes up swords and slays the demon, but Jesus needs no sword. His very presence trembles the demon. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
You see, this demon concedes his loss before the battle has even begun. When I was in Yazoo City as an intern, one of the things that we did every single Friday was go to the football games. And uh, the local academy, you know, you're, when in Rome, you just do what the Romans do, and so I would go. But the local academy is where all my youth attended, and they were all part of the football team. But in my last year there, their school got too small to have a full football program. And so 11, they couldn't do 11-man football with, you know, 21 teammates. You know, they would just kill the kids. And so they demoted them to eight-man football. And this was a game changer for this middle-of-the-pack uh, middle school because they had all the training, all the capabilities of an 11-man football team. And so often we would go to these games, and while we were at these games, in the first half it would be something like 54-3. to The game was over by halftime. And I remember often leaving at half. There's no point for me to stay another two hours in, in this muggy, cold weather. It would concede defeat. It was not surprising often when the coach on the other team would come around at halftime and say, let us just let the clock run out. Please, no more. We don't want to play anymore. Our kids are demoralized. Your third string teams are, uh, team is still scoring on us. We can't even stop the worst amongst you. Please, no more. Perhaps the first half was last week when Jesus was on the boat calming the storm. And now we're in the second half, and the demon just says, please, no more. Please, Jesus, let me be. Notice the weakness of the demon, the legion of demons is before Christ. You'd expect a legion, 5,000 demons, to have some sort of power and authority, and yet they all come groveling before Jesus. In verse 31, we see Jesus cast them away, and they begged him to not depart to the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him to let them to enter these instead. You see, what the demons feared was not being cast out of this demonically possessed man, but in verse 31 we see they feared hell itself. These demons, when they saw Jesus, knew that Jesus for them was associated with eternal judgment. And if Jesus wanted to right now, he could send us all to a place of judgment for all eternity. That is what they fear. They don't fear, perhaps, Jesus being the son of the Most High God. They fear of the, his power that he himself can send them straight to what they deserve. Perhaps in American culture, when we think about the demonic, we think that hell is the realm of the demons. And in some senses, it is. But not positively. The demonic prefer this earth to hell. Because that is the place where they themselves will receive the judgment of God. And so instead, they ask for mercy. They bargain. Just please send us to the pigs. And Jesus, perhaps provocatively says sure it's perhaps startling to us that Jesus would waste 5,000 pigs in a moment's notice watching them all return to the chaotic sea that Jesus had just calmed to drown but you got to remember that Jewish society did not have a fond relationship with swine you know we love our swine 
I love swine. I love to eat them. I love every part of the pig. My bacon-saturated life. The baby back ribs that I'm just thinking about now. The pulled pork. I love the whole pig, you know, the whole thing. I'll eat all of it. And so you think in your own modern mind, how could Jesus waste 5,000 swines? It's it's the most natural thing for us swine-loving Americans. But Jesus, in his society, thought pigs were vile and unclean animals. They weren't worth keeping. Obviously, they are in the land of the Gerasenes, and they like their pigs like Americans like theirs. But for the Jewish man, as he saw these animals, they were a waste of space anyway. He was doing the Gerasenes a favor in some regards, sending these animals to die. So he sends them. I want you to see how Jesus expels these demons. You might perhaps expect special Latin chants or special rituals with holy water blessed by Roman priests. But we see none of that here. Jesus just says, come out. It's striking, the simplicity. It is never simple in those horror, demonic films. It is always a battle where the priest always somehow fails until the very last moment. But notice the simplicity. Jesus says, come out, and the demons come out, and they comply under his great authority. I want you to see that Jesus is the liberator. He liberates this man so simply by calling those demons to come from him. For the believer, it's similar. It's almost the same. Satan, perhaps, is a good picture, is like, and all of his demons are like ravenous dogs, no doubt. But they are like ravenous dogs that are chained. If you get close to these things, yeah, they'll bite your hand off and do all sorts of damage to you. But they are chained. Their authority and their ability is chained by Christ. Yes, dangerous, but their power is limited. That's the good news for you today. And it is the same not only for the demonic influence in your life, but your own sin as the Lord comes in and renovates us. All of us have access to the power of Christ today by his spirit who dwells amongst us. Therefore, we have nothing to fear because Christ expels darkness. We heard it in 1 John today that in him is light and there is no darkness at all, and it is true. When Jesus comes, demons grovel, and they beg for mercy. It is the same for the Christian here today who has Christ. The demonic influence is limited, dangerous, but limited. Jesus liberates us from the chains of darkness. The last thing I want you to see, though, is that this liberation leads to both fear and amazement. To both fear and amazement. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the men from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And the people of the surrounding country, the Gerasenes, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And so he got on the boat and returned. 
There are two responses to the liberation of Christ for this demonically oppressed and possessed man. The first is from the people themselves. They are afraid for two reasons, perhaps. One, they are afraid because this man had just cost them an entire livestock of pigs. If he stays any longer, what else will this man take from us? He's already taken our pork. So they ask him to leave. But also, there is a scary picture of that man being in his right mind. A man who has had psychosis and crazed natures for how long? Who knows? He's not been in his right mind for a long time. He is a constant issue in society. No one wanted to deal with him. And to see him normal and clothed would have been shocking perhaps even doubtful. I've watched those videos of homeless people who look crazy on the street and a barber comes and tries to clean them up and they go from looking perhaps like a Neanderthal with where you don't know where the beard ends and the hair begins. They just look crazed, long nails, unclean. And then a barber shop comes in and cleans them up. Right? If you've ever seen those videos, it's amazing the turnaround. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a transformation, if you were. They go from looking like a Neanderthal to looking like the guy from the Dos Equis commercial who is the most interesting man in all the earth. Cleaned up in his right mind. Ready to tackle society. He's ready for a job. They even suit him up. That is the stark, vivid transformation here. A man crazed with long fingernails, Naked, crazy hair that's not been groomed, matted together, and now he is normal. It's scary. It's spooky. It's something that's unexpected. And that leads to fear. It's a fearful thing because they see the power of Christ. Like the disciples who feared and were amazed in the passage last week as Jesus calms the storm and the sea. These people are amazed as well and fearful. So fearful they want nothing to do with Jesus. He has too much power, too much authority, and so they fear him. But the changed man has a different response to the liberation. He experiences the true effects, and the man with the demons had gone and begged that he might be with him. We saw in a few moments ago that the demons themselves begged to be cast into pigs, and Jesus grants their request. And we see perhaps throughout the other parts of Luke where people beg to be with Jesus and he says, yes, come and be my follower. It's quite striking then that as Jesus permits and allows these demons to have their wish, when this man asks for his wish to be with Christ, what does he say? No. <laughs> we want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no. Instead, he says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. You might wonder why. Perhaps we get the seeds of the broad nature of the gospel here. The gospel is not merely and only for the Jewish people. Instead, this Gentile is the first evangelist in the book of Luke. The first evangelist in the book of Luke is not to the Jewish people, but to the Gerasenes. The man who was once demon-possessed, now freely in his right mind, understanding the gospel, is charged by Christ before Matthew 28 to go 
and to share the good news of Christ. Where first in his own household. Imagine that family reunion. A terrifying experience, perhaps, as they see a son, a grandson, a brother, who had not been well for decades, come with news of the man that healed him. He's asked to stay because that is a potent gospel message. What happened? This man who came off of a boat, who calmed the storm, expelled every demon from me and offered me life. A man who once was living but not alive but not living now has been given a second chance at life here today. When Christ expels darkness from us, when he breaks the chains of darkness, we are offered this new life here. Perhaps you very rarely empathize with the demoniac. I don't have demons. But this demoniac should be a great example to every believer here of what Christ has done in your life. Liberation from darkness. Liberation from what oppresses us. Liberation that leads to amazement. Because Christ offers us new life here today. There's perhaps no emblem greater than what is prepared before us. We talked about baptism as folks enter into the covenant. There's no greater emblem of liberation than the table here. As we renew our covenant with Christ, we are reminded of his great liberating work. That in him there is no darkness at all. And if you come in faith to this table, we are reminded of the amazing work of Christ. That today as we hear his voice, he promises to expel all darkness from us. Whether from the world, from our own sin, or from demons themselves. Today, if you hear his voice and you do not know him, do not harden your heart. Do not remain as the crazed demoniac, but in faith call upon him. Call upon him. Let us close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that by the Lord Jesus Christ, you have liberated us from all darkness. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we gather today, that we would be renewed by your gracious spirit and that you would expel any sin that has haunted us to this point now and by your grace forever. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.